Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hello and welcome to episode 3-266 of the Run Run Live podcast. It's the hot month of July up here in New England. And today we talk with Iram Leon, who is living his life. I have to admit I struggled with this interview because I'm not of the Geraldo mindset. I don't have a fascination with pathos. But I do believe we have something to learn from the transformative nature of Iram's life. And that transformation comes in many different forms. And everybody, everybody, when you get to a certain age, has been touched by cancer somehow. Everybody has been touched by it. So I'm trying to, to do some learning and perhaps bring some of that to you. So in section one, I'm going to talk about living life and in section two, I'm going to explore an archaeological expedition into my metal rack. I'm busy working on projects and trying to stay fit. And I've got no injuries, but my running has been a bit Jekyll and Hyde. I have really been struggling to get my long runs in. Two weekends in a row, I've tried to go out into the woods and run long and have had to stop. Um, the deer flies are horrible, and the heat is horrible, and it's just beating the crap out of me. And I usually love the woods, so it's strange for me. Even so, I should be able to, you know, gut out, tough out two or three hours of trail running. And I think it also has to do with not having done much trail running recently, so it's not as comfortable as it should be. But both times, two weekends in a row now, I went back to the house, ate something, took a nap, and then went back out and finished the workouts. So the first one was a 20-miler. And I did the first six-ish in the woods. And then after I rested a bit, took a little nap, I went over to the gym and finished it on the treadmill. And I don't know which was worse, the heat and the flies or 14 miles on the treadmill in the inside. And at one point I was running and I just sort of lost consciousness. I was zoning out on the treadmill. And I stepped off the treadmill and did one of those acrobatic flippos and landed on my feet. The lady on the treadmill behind me freaked out. She was all freaked out. And I just smiled at her and I told her that Fred Flintstone does it all the time and he never gets hurt. This week I went out and uh, I, I took Buddy with me for the first two and a half. Then I did another six or so. So I ended up doing 9.5 in the trails before I had to bail out. I was just going so slowly. I was slogging along and I didn't really see how, you know, I could have kept going, but gutting it out, I didn't see how that was going to be beneficial to training for a road marathon. So I went back to the house and I had, I had three eggs, three fried eggs. <laughs> I cooked up a pound of bacon, which I ate most of, drank some coffee, took a nap. And then in the afternoon, I headed back out onto the road. Uh, to knock out another five-ish miles in my hokas on my home course at close to race pace. And I felt pretty good. So like I said, it's Jekyll and Hyde. I have no idea what's going on. This is not the ideal training scenario, but you know, I do what I can. Those were the, those were the Mr. Hyde, right? Those were the Mr. Hyde moments, the runs. Then I had some Dr. Jekyll runs as well. 
the good ones, and those are my tempo sessions, my speed sessions. So last week I did a nice set of 1600s at a sub-7 pace down at the track. That felt great. Then I did uh, a set of 3 by 14 minutes, so so 3200s, not double the 1600, so three 3200s um, at marathon pace, minus 40 seconds, so 40 seconds faster, faster than my race pace. And it felt awesome. It just felt awesome. I closed it hard, and it just felt awesome. So that's almost six miles of tempo. And those workouts are probably real good for road marathon training, which is good because I managed to wheedle my way into a marathon next week. (laughs) Yes, I'll be attempting the 24-hour Around the Lake Marathon in Wakefield, Massachusetts on Friday night, July 26th at 7 p.m. And one of the great things about living in New England is that you are never more than a stone's throw away from a crew of crazy runners doing something crazy. So the pros are that it's as flat as a pancake, 3.2-mile loop course in a park, and it's about 20 miles from my front door. The cons are it's a 3.2-mile loop course, and it's July. Uh, I have no idea at this point where my fitness is vis-a-vis racing, but I think a flat course gives me a better shot shot at making my time if I can control myself early in the race and it's not too hot. It's late enough in the summer that we're, you know, I'm starting to acclimate, so I think I can manage anything up to 80-ish degrees with proper fueling and patience, but we will see. As the name implies, it's actually a 24-hour and a 12-hour endurance event, but they have it set up that there's a certified marathon course built into it. Should be an adventure. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. We're all going to die, but that doesn't mean you can't live. When I was interviewing the young man, Aram Leon, who is dealing with brain cancer that will almost surely take his life, I was impressed by his love of life. I was impressed how he is focusing on what he can do now with the time he has. I was impressed with how he is focused on his daughter and the important things in his life. And it's a story we see repeated often where someone is faced with impending death or has a close call and they change. They learn to live. They learn to cut through all the extraneous stuff in life, all the noise, and get right to the meat of living. You and I are no different. We're going to die. We naturally avoid thinking about it. Most of us are in no hurry to get there, but we all end up in the same place. And maybe considering our deaths can help us to live our lives. Different people react to the briefness of our existence in the world different ways. Some seek higher-level meaning to fill in the unknowns with faith. Others simply ignore the reaper until he catches them sleeping. You know you are going to die. What should you do? Well, first you need to start living. I would suggest to you that the rational approach to a finite life would be to try to get the most out of it. I would suggest to you that you need to start living without fear. You need to start living as if you only have a short time left. I don't suggest you quit your job and take on a lifestyle of vapid dissolution with Hollywood starlets, an ego-driven, self-consumptive life 
does not reward you or your world. That's not fulfilling. And it will probably shorten your corporeal lease as well. But I do suggest you learn to enjoy your life. I do suggest that you do the things that put you in a position, enable you to enjoy your life. And likewise, I don't think you can measure the value of a life by the things that you acquire. There's nothing inherently evil about things, but the act of acquiring them is not the best use of your life's energies. Consuming and hoarding artifacts is a form of taking, and I would challenge the assumption that you can find fulfillment through taking. If you're going to spend your energy acquiring things, acquire meaningful relationships and acquire meaningful experience. You may radically change your life, like the person facing imminent death, but you don't have to. Many times people will take the advice to start living more and translate that to do more things. Doing more things may just add stress to your life, causing degradation instead of fulfillment. When I say start living more, I mean two things specifically. First, get more fulfillment out of the things you are already doing. And secondly, do more fulfilling things. What do I mean by get more fulfillment out of the things you are already doing? I mean that washing the dishes can be fulfilling. I mean that going to see a movie with your kids can be fulfilling. I mean that having a conversation with your mom can be fulfilling. We tend to rush through these routine vignettes of life, and we are not present. Our minds are slipping off somewhere else to worry about the mortgage or our bus or the five pounds we have to lose. Practice finding meaning in the simple things of life that you are already privy to. Lovingly do the dishes, joyfully go to the movies, thoughtfully talk to your mom. Be in the moment, because those moments are the only ones you get. By approaching the sundry commonplace things in life with joy and mindfulness, you can bring fulfillment and happiness into your life without changing anything. Your life, the majority of it, exists between your ears and in your relationships with others. Make that life meaningful, and you will start living more. And secondly, what do I mean by do more fulfilling things? I mean that you have a list of things that you're going to do today, this week, this month, this year, and in this life. And you get the same number of hours as everyone else, so you should choose to do those things that are important. You can only do this by displacing something less important on that list of things. This is your choice. When you decide to do more fulfilling things, you look forward in your horizon of things and make choices to include worthwhile and important things. For example, this year you may decide you are going to train for and run a marathon because you feel that's important. In scheduling that important and fulfilling experience, you are automatically displacing 8 to 15 hours a week of something else. It may be watching TV or eating lunch, but by choosing to do more fulfilling things, you are putting more life into your life. Defining what is important is up to you. Iram, Iram chooses to spend more time with his daughter. For me, it is things that stretch me and scare me a little. And these things build on each other over your life to form a codex of fulfillment. And your assignment today is to live as if you don't have much time left. I want you to focus on doing those mundane things in your life with purpose and joy. 
I want you to look out across your life horizon and choose to do something important. Schedule it. I want you to start living. Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley I met a traveller from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed and on the pedestal these words appear my name is ozymandias king of kings look on my works ye mighty and despair nothing beside remains round the Decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. And now for today's featured interview. Leon, how are you doing, man? I'm good. You sent me uh, the links to uh, some of the articles that were written about you in some of the major magazines and I started reading the Wall Street Journal and I go, wait a second, this is really familiar. And I realized that I had just been reading about you in Competitive Magazine last night, Competitor Magazine. You got an article in there as well. And yeah, I, yeah, I did, they, they, actually, they actually didn't talk to me, they just reported it. Um, clearly, it's clearly a slow news week, you know. Yeah, so I uh, I didn't put it together and I said, wait a second, I know this guy, so that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You're for what it's worth, you're getting a lot of a lot of fame. Yeah. Uh, slow Newsweek, man. Slow Newsweek. <laughs> slow Newsweek. So uh so when you give me give me the uh the the story in three or four hundred words or less. Well, you know, um I got diagnosed with brain cancer back in November of two thousand ten and there were a lot of different tests and neuropsychologicals and MRIs and uh water tests and because of the, the medical restrictions, uh, my job put me in, um, in a different job. And, uh, all of a sudden, I couldn't drive. And the one thing I just kind of kept doing was running because I was kind of where everything felt normal. And my running group was nice enough to pick me up. So, and I put off brain surgery to run a marathon, which I um, qualified for Boston. And Did you come out and run Boston? Well, yeah, I would go out actually in, in 2012, which was the second hottest one ever, the hottest one in my lifetime. So, yep. and and I, I actually ran three more. So I had surgery actually a few days after the marathon, uh, the one that I put it off. And then at Boston, uh, my mom came out and cheered for me. One uh, of my little brother and and Kiana, and they. So I saw them along the course, and then. Um, a couple months later, I was trying to get my mom to do her first race, and so she signed up to do her first half marathon, you know, and she's 60, though, if anyone asks, she's 29, and, um, you know, the way I talked into it was I said I would do it um, with a stroller. I'd started running with a stroller because I'm a single dad a lot more, but I hadn't done a race, 
other than there was a the, there was a Thanksgiving race at a stroller division, and so I asked the organizers, and it was back in my hometown, and so we, we just kind of started doing more races. I actually came in second in that half marathon by five seconds, but I'm not I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> And she was actually the very last half marathon finisher. My mom was. Um, there were some behind her that the weather was pretty bad, and so there were some behind her that decided to uh, drop out. And I, went, I, I finished, and then I went back and finished with her. She walked most of it, and so I just kept doing some races with her. I would win the the Thanksgiving, the Austin race, the Stroller Division, and then there was a 30k in January um, where I won my age group. Yeah, uh, but I, I couldn't seem to get any marathon that would let me in. So I kind of I wanted to do one with her, but there just didn't seem to be there. You know, for obvious reasons, lots of races don't let strollers in. And I had a couple of friends going to this one, and they invited me. And I said, guys, I just did a marathon, which had actually gone really bad, the Austin marathon. I mean, not horribly bad. I got a got a three oh nine, but I threw up all over the course from the medication. And so I'm like, unless they let me do it with a stroller, guys, I'm out. I just did one a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they were nice enough to let me do it with a marathon and to do it with a stroller. And I just wanted to do one of them. I had no concept of anything else. And kind of my game plan, honestly, was, well, you know, if I have to walk this one in for the last few miles because it just got too heavy or cramped up too much, then I, I get, or, you know, or if I have to stop because she's got to go to the bathroom, there was no, no time goal. I just wanted to do one with her. And it was a double loop. <laughs> and so there were people ahead of me the entire first half. And then when I crossed the first half, there was no one anywhere near me. And I, so I turned to the bike guy next to him, and I'm like, how far back am I? Because <laughs> all of a sudden, I couldn't see anybody. The guy's like, there's no one in front of you. And I'm like, oh, man, pressure's on now. Uh, so, and it was it was not exactly great conditions. There were like 30-mile-an-hour winds. And, and so we just kept it going. And in the end, uh, I never thought I'd win a marathon, period, much less pushing a stroller. Yeah. Yeah, so you picked the right race, got some some foul weather, and and took away uh, first place with pushing your your five year old daughter in the stroller. Well, I actually, I didn't pick it. I mean, I I don't do races out of Austin. The only reason uh, there were some other friends who had had a bad marathon for a variety of reasons. So there were three other people. I'm not allowed to drive because of uh, medical restrictions, and so they were trying to get me to come out with them. And I'm like, I'm good, guys. I, you know, but. You know, they said, well, what? you know, I was checking the lunch to do with the stroller. So I did. I tried and they did. And it was three weeks after the other marathon. So we were just all barely recovered. Yeah. So you had the, the tumor removed from your brain, but they didn't get it all. They said at some point you're going to uh, have some more problems, but they you lost um, some of your speech and some of your motor functions. But they yeah, said. I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't lose any motor functions. I lost some memory and, and language functions. And they can't get it all because it's, uh, you know, it's kind of wrapped around those things. And if they took it all, they, I would have none of those functions left. But, you know, without memory or language, you're not really human. So they, they took out as much as they could. I mean, the doctor was fairly realistic when he said, he's like, you're, you're not going to beat this. We're just trying to get you to 40. I mean, the average survival rate without surgery is four years, with it is seven years. And so, you know, I mean, luckily Keanu likes running in the stroller. And so if you see her, she's always smiling in the pictures from the races. I, I'm not always smiling in uh, <laughs> pictures of races. <laughs> but, but yeah, and, you know, she literally sits there and talks to me and cheers me on. And when we do, like, fast turns, she goes, woo! And so it's just, you know, it's some fun that you don't get to have any other way. 
Yeah, and that'll give her something to remember about you that's real positive too, right? She 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 actually did her first race. We did it together uh, uh, this year. She did a Texas Family Mile, and she we we she has done some like school races, and she's done races with, my, with a stroller. But actually, about a month after that race, she, we did our first race where we got to do it side by side, and it was a mile around the Capitol, and so she did that. I was there next to her, and she uh, she's got some of uh, my uh, wanting to run hard because at the end she decided to sprint in and beat me beat me to the finish line. There you go. That's great to see, huh? Yeah. The doctors, um, you know, you, you've had mixed uh, mixed results with the doctors. Some of them said, you know, hey, you, you you shouldn't run, and some of them said, hey, you should run. What's the what do you what do you think about that? I mean, as you you being an endurance athlete, is that good, bad, and different to your well? Disease? I mean, th- there were different attitudes, and the uh, the this started with a grand mal seizure, you know, and a. Um, and a rush to the emergency room in an ambulance. I had never called in sick in my entire life. And so I I was a little bit shocked, you know, that I, there's literally been dozens of medical appointments in the last couple of years. And so the original set of doctors were just luck of the draw. It was just whoever was in the ER that day. And as I turned to Live Strong and as I turned to some other cancer survivors, they kind of guided me about picking doctors that had a similar life philosophies as you know. And I actually snuck out of the hospital the night before the biopsy to go running. You know, running's kind of my therapy, and how much I do it and how hard I go at it shows you how bad I need therapy. But I ended up kind of taking some recommendations from a friend who was a nurse and uh, my next-door neighbor and some other people who had been through it. And and so and all of these doctors were all okay with it, the doctors I ended up with, and they, they, they liked the attitude of that you keep going till you can't. Um, and so we've had to I've had to up some of my anti seizure medication to a higher level just because exhaustion alone could trigger a seizure in anybody, but they're all okay with it. One of the technicians said he's like after one of the MRIs says, Well, we're not ready to say your brain's okay from the way you run, but your tumor's stable. So <laughs> so I'll take it. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting because some people might think that the running actually is better for it, right? Because you're going to sort of generate some positive chemicals that that could help. Right, and I think I think that's the attitude of in my in my mind in my you know in my opinion that's the attitude of the best doctors. Yeah. Um, the and I mean it's kind of what I what I say to people. I'm like, well, no matter. What, what I do, I'm going to die either way, whether it be of this or something else. I want to get some living in in the, in the middle. Yeah. And so we, uh, so I run, and uh, that, those are kind of, that's kind of the, the thing I ask at every doctor's appointment. You know, can I still, uh, am I still fit to raise a kid, and can I keep running? You know, one's why I get through the day, and the other one's how. So everything else we, we can kind of negotiate. So how do you manage your uh, your schedule with the running and and being a parent and uh, and all the other stuff you have to do now? Well, um, the, the good thing is that Kiana likes running. So some of the runs she goes in the stroller, and there are some. I mean, on on Monday we did a track workout, and I did a I did a little under four miles, and she did a little under two miles. You know, I was doing intervals. She was just kind of jogging, walking on that. So she likes it. So she sits there and goes out there and. And then when she's in the stroller, I just put on some music on a speaker, and she sits there and sings along. There's been actually uh, some of the trading runs where I come back, and she's like, I thought we were going longer. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, 
when you sit there, you can, it doesn't feel quite as long as when you're pushing back there. But so she likes it, you know. And I always, when I run with her, I always play with a speaker that's uh, playing some Disney song and some of my songs. It kind of alternates between the two. And uh, honestly, I, you know, we, everybody waves and cheers for us and kind of just waves back. So we get to have some fun with it. And we get up early on the days of races. And so she sleeps for a good chunk of the first half of races uh, when they're longer races. And, and so, but, but once she wakes up, she's all smiles and some good. Yeah, it's good. That's great that you guys can do something together. Besides the uh, the anti-seizure medication, you having to go through any chemo or anything like that? No, all, all the other, you know, I had to take some steroids and the surgeon. All like all that stuff is currently until or unless this goes. There's nothing else that I have to do in the meantime, other than take anti-seizure medication twice a day. So, what's on your race calendar for this year? The actually the very first race I came back to after the surgery, it was a it got announced to my running group on my first birthday after the surgery, about five months after. I'd kind of stopped running just for a variety of reasons and they uh the, the brain power five K and it was the very first race Austin ever had that raised money for brain cancer research and it got announced on my birthday to my running group and I just I'm like, Well uh, I should probably do that one. And uh yeah. Um, I did that, and um, I actually won it in its first year, and at the time, it was my best time, and so uh, this year, they, um, they asked me if I would be an honorary chair, and so that's uh, in September. Uh, I'm doing some training races between now and then, but I, I've never got another marathon uh, in August, so those are kind of the big ones, but in my head... You're gonna you're gonna race in uh, in Texas because it's pretty warm there in August, isn't it? Yeah, the five k's in Texas, the marathon somewhere else. <laughs> There's a reason we don't have any marathons or half marathons in Texas during the summer. Yeah, exactly. What's the weather today? Like 110 down in Austin? Uh, I think it's only gonna be. I think it's only gonna get to like 98. You know, we're we call that a reasonable summer day around here. But summer, I think today is actually the first day of summer. It's about to start in the next couple of days. This is the first time I actually trained for a marathon during summer. Usually I just train during the winter, and I'm realizing why I've never trained during summer very quickly. <laughs> yeah, you got to get up really early. Yeah. So I, I usually work more on, on sprint or biking during summer because I, I don't want to melt. Yeah, you get a little bit of the airflow when you're biking. It's a little bit better. So you doing anything else? Doing any tries or anything? I've never done a try. I've done uh, two hundred mile bike rides. I, I actually don't know how to swim, and so I've done two hundred uh, mile bike rides, two centuries. I've never done anything other than running and biking, and, and certainly, any, I mean, I, I played sports before this, but um, I used to play soccer. But I'm not allowed to hit things with my head anymore. Right. And yeah. And so that's kind of why I focus more on running, and also. You know, you can't take a stroller onto any field, <laughs> yeah. but you can take it on many courses of running. No, I mean, I think you see more and more of that these days where races are stroller-friendly. Uh, it used to be in the old days, you know, none of the races would let you bring a stroller with you. But do you what's your, what are you finding with race directors? Well, there are some races that do and some races that don't. I mean, part of the problem is that, you know... The, and I love doing races without her, is that you, if you're competitive, you don't want someone who doesn't, and whether that be a stroller or a walker, is that um, you don't want someone in your way who kind of started where they shouldn't have. 
But um, if it's someone who's walking or slower than you, they're a lot easier to get around than somebody who's got a big stroller. So I, I understand the rule, and and, it, and there have been races that say you can't do it, and I don't argue, I don't object. But uh, the ones that do, I try to do as many of them as I can. Yeah, because they're concerned about you running into people or people running into you with the stroller, right? Right. Yeah, but if you're going fast enough... I mean, and the other thing, too, off. is, you know, Keanu loves it, but if, if there was a kid who didn't like it, you know, and they're sitting there crying or upset, that that would be tough on any races that are, uh, any other race participants that are nearby. Sure. But yeah. I, I think most kids would love, you know, getting pushed by their dad or their mom and just... You know, they get to go faster than they usually do while feeling the air. Yeah. What have you taken away from all this? Is there is there positive as well as negative? I mean, does this transform well, I mean, your life? The, the simple, honest truth is that I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I had never once run with my kid before cancer. And most people who are pushing a kid with a stroller, their kids are one or two. When I won the marathon, piano was six. I don't know that anybody's is glad to have cancer, but uh, I appreciate that it made me focus on what's important. And, and, and I mean, it, it's not the only thing we do together. We just sit there and do drawings. Literally, my toenails are pink and blue right now, and uh, <laughs> we do pedicures together every once in a while. And it just kind of gets you some bigger perspectives. And there are people have said, "Oh man, you could get some faster time without a stroller." And, or, you know, there's certainly been some guys that, who look at my toes and go, what, what is going on? I'm like, and in the scheme of things, to me, I'd much rather run with my daughter. And it literally, my it's actually one second slower than my fastest marathon. And my 5K with a stroller is three seconds slower than my fastest 5K. So it's not taking too much out of me. I actually think it's making those other times faster. And, I mean, that's the one. I don't want to stay on my deathbed. I wish I'd spent more time with my kid. So... Um, I'm glad to see that she's into running, and I'd much rather walk next to her than run races without her. That's great. So, in, in a sense, it's uh, sort of allowed you to focus on what's important to you and uh, and discover that. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. So, what else have you learned from all this? Well, I, you have to find the right friends and the right doctors, and but they have to keep you focusing on the living. I mean, that's uh, I am really glad to have a team of both friends and family and doctors that. Obviously, we we deal with the disease, and we have to sit down and do blood work and MRIs and neuropsychologicals. And I've spent a lot more time in doctor's office in the last few years than I thought I would ever spend. But they also, every single one of them has been about keeping the attitude of you keep finding the things that you want to do. And that's why you're keeping living is to keep living. It isn't just to, to avoid dying. And so, so we focus on some fun things. Tomorrow I'm having a survivor's party here at the house and we're going to be playing some long games and while we'll share some of the I think struggles and things we'll also see who shoots the dartboard better and who uh who throws the hacky sack better and so you you have to figure out the right way of uh continuing living while trying to avoid dying if that makes any sense no it doesn't make sense and so so it sounds like you've learned something about community as well what's important about community oh i mean that's what i always say i'm like you know my doctors are I'm dealing with the cancer, but my friends and my family, they're the ones saving my life. That's a great way to put it. Did you find some folks had a, a less than positive reaction, you know, that, that overwhelmed some of the, the folks in your life more so even than yourself? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely people who I, I have had to 
comfort them about the fact that I have cancer, which is awkward. <laughs> I've literally had someone cry to my shoulder telling them, telling me how sorry they are that I have cancer. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and, um, and that certainly uh, feels awkward at best. But obviously it's because they care. And so you have to appreciate that. But I never, you know, yeah, I, don't, I, I didn't know what to say. I just literally had someone cry on my shoulder about it. I think on the same terms, um, I think for most of us, if our mother, for me, my mother, my daughter, or my best friend had cancer, it would be infinitely more stressful than the fact that I have it is because I don't want to lose those people. And so you, you try to make yourself feel better for me by just hanging out with them because that's, I mean, this is, this is what it's about is just making sure you get some good time with good people. All right. Well, you sound like you're uh, you're staying positive about all this stuff. You're uh, you're fitting a lot of life into your life. So, what what uh, what kind of uh, last message would you have for anyone who might be listening to this? Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't have some great deep moral lesson. The the things that has been all over the news are stuff that my six year old could tell you. Get some exercise. Have some fun with people you like. And these are the things that my six year old does without any struggle and. It's a little bit embarrassing that it took cancer for me to focus on some of the things that are just the basic joys of life. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate the talk. And you have a great day. Go go, go for a run. Thank you. All right. We'll see you. Bye-bye. I can do anything. I can be anything. I am not afraid. Hitch up your tights because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Looking back at the races I have run, last week I put an item on my to-do list to fish through my medals and try to figure out what and how many marathons I've run. It was an interesting act of impromptu archaeology. People ask me how many marathons I've run, and I tell them I don't know, and that seems to trouble people. I've never ran races to collect them like so many hoarded license plates. I ran races for adventure and to meet people and sometimes just because they happen to sit on the calendar in a particularly fortunate place. The only marathon I've ever had a personal relationship with was Boston. Until recently, I only ran other marathons to get back to Boston. Until they changed the qualifying and registration rules, I could get away with running a qualifying race once every two years. I see people online, young people, who have 50 or 100 marathons under their belts. That's amazing. But it also points to a fairly single-minded commitment to racking up marathons. The way I live my marathon life has always been sort of spur of the moment. Even that first one, a friend said, hey, let's run the marathon. I said, okay. (laughs) And the rest is history. Like most of you, I started running again to lose weight. I figured... Five miles three times a week would be plenty to hold the line against the battle of the belly. And then, like most of you, I realized how much I enjoyed running, the camaraderie of it, and I began racing. This is where I have an advantage over some because I had run cross-country in high school and knew the rudiments of running and training and racing. I was never any good and never considered myself an athlete, but I knew what to do. And I ran my first marathon in 1997. I was 34 years old. 
I followed the usual trajectory and got serious about it for a couple years and continued on the same normal course and went through a cycle of injury and recovery of training and racing. As I passed 40 and 45 and older, I knew in my logical head that I couldn't keep beating on my body like this forever and I had to find a way to enjoy the races. Every one could not be a pyrrhic effort. With each passing year, I looked to the community to find ways to run with friends and enjoy the race, to help pace people and to help charities. And this is the normal progression for our sport. So back to the beginning of this story. I went through my medal rack and wrote down all the marathon medals. Then I compared them to the available archival information online. Athlinks.com has a pretty good database of races. If you give them your name, your age, and your location, they'll search all the results and find some of your race history. They even found some now-defunct races that I had run. Athlinks didn't find all the races. The BAA site has a searchable archive of all the Boston marathons, but that only goes back to 2000. But it was still useful to corral my Bostons in one place. I managed to find all the races through these sources and the metal rack, except for one. I had to send an email to my friend Gordon and ask him, remember that year we ran Boston together? You remember we we ran Bay State in the fall that year? When was that? And I think that that was the year Bay State didn't get their medals on time for the race. And he remembered it was 2000. In there, I found two DNFs, including this year's Boston. There were actually three DNFs. I've walked away from two marathons and, of course, the Boston fiasco this year. So a total of three. But one of those got logged as a half marathon because I walked back to the finish line to turn in my chip. So they logged me as a half marathoner. And what did I find with all this wonderful research? Well, it appears I've attempted 34 marathon or greater races. I did not finish two of those. That means I have run and completed 32 marathons in 16 years or so. Easy math there for an average of two per year. One of those is the Vermont 50 miler that I ran in 2008. As my one and only official ultra distance race, I've got 11 states, mostly contiguous to New England. My average seems to be in the 320s if you throw out the outliers. I've run many more 20-milers and 30Ks and half-marathons, all while training for Boston. An interesting phenomenon was the way I remembered times. I remembered my PR at Boston as 306.42 for some reason. And it's actually 306.54, but that's probably net versus chip. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why my subconscious thought it was reasonable to approximate that, but probably because 42 sounds a lot closer to 306 than 54 does. Even I, who would not, and have no incentive to aggrandize my running history, find I've been telling some fish stories that keep getting better as uh, time passes. I had forgotten at least one marathon and had discovered some times that in retrospect looked pretty good But at the time, I was mortified by these times. But they look pretty good from uh, 15 years later. I took a picture of the results, and it's in the post on runrunlive.com on my blog. There are a couple of useful takeaways. First, if you don't already know it, you can go to athlinks.com and plug in your identifying information. 
it will find many of your race results for you. It is still not 100%, but it has gotten better since it first came out a couple of years ago. When it first came out, there were many more false positives in my results because I have a very common name. Now, there was only, I think I only saw one false positive. And when it first came out, it only found a handful of the many races I have run in my lifetime. But now it has like two pages of results for me. So it's pretty good. It's a good sampling. And second is that you should really try to keep some sort of written log. If I didn't have my medals, I would not have been able to find all my marathons. I honestly had totally forgotten what years and what my finishing times were for many races. More recently, in the past 10 years, I've taken to writing race reports, and I'm always surprised at how much fun they are to read after the years have passed and the memories have faded. I'm not one of those super organized, write-everything-down guys, but it is helpful to at least leave a breadcrumb trail. A more daunting prospect would be to go back and try and compile all the 30Ks and 20-mile races I've run in this time period. Most of those don't hand out medals. Consider the fact that for every Boston Marathon I've run, there were three or four 20-milers or 30Ks, half-marathons, 16-milers, and that's a pile of road racing that I quite enjoyed, even though I don't really remember them all. <laughs> I suppose I could fish the hundred-odd bib numbers I have laying around. Uh, this works to a point. Many of the shorter races have generic bib numbers. So all you'll know is that you ran a race. You won't know when or where. Should I be concerned about keeping track of these things? I've always rather been concerned about doing them. The river flows on, and I felt no imperative to anchor boys in the stream. How is a stack of bib numbers or a shoebox full of medals any more inherently valuable than a collection of cabbage patch dolls or cigarette butts? You never know what you may want to remember someday. You and I should probably start keeping a record of our running journeys. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep. And miles to go before I sleep. The long summer is here. We're all on vacation, and episode 3-66 is nearing the end. That's actually 3-266 is nearing the end. And I will tell you a funny story. I had to get Buddy to the vet last Friday for a checkup and some routine maintenance, and he's fine, but he's miserable in the heat, and he has to spend too much time in the house, and I got caught in traffic. In the summer, there's less traffic, but that's when they schedule all the construction, so you can't win. I was running late, so I couldn't get a poop sample for the worm test. And later, when I took him for a walk, I collected my sample in a little plastic bag. And I, I needed to save it to bring to the vet in the morning. And I didn't want to leave it out in the heat, so I decided to put it in the fridge. But that's not very appealing. So I put the bag inside a Starbucks cup and wrote dog poop on it. And my family was, was uh, greatly amused by that. And then I ended up missing the vet's hours anyhow. <laughs> So I was riding around with dog poop in my uh, cup holder for a day.
I'm hitting the 24-hour around the Lake Marathon next week and should be able to pick up my qualifying time. If something goes wrong, I'm still scheduled to run the Pocatello Marathon in Idaho, August 31st. That will give me five months in a row if you include the Boston fiasco. The training effect has to kick in one of these buds. <laughs> Anybody who wants to join me in Idaho, I'd love the company. I'm gonna, I'm gonna to, uh, couple it up with a business trip. So I'll be out in Boise anyhow that week. And I'd like to keep this marathon a thing, marathon a month thing going. I've got a target marathon in Florida in November, but other than that, I'm open to suggestions. You know what I like? Something interesting. Send me your suggestions, especially if it involves an invitation to couch surf. I've been pushing through a lot of new projects on the side. I'm just about done recording an audio version of my second book of running stories, The Midpacker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I will get that up on my site over the next couple weeks. Then I'll get both of those books, my first book, The Midpacker's Lament, uh, as well, up on Audible. So you guys, if you have Audible, you can get them. And if you're interested in any of my work, uh, my books, audio or or regular or Kindle, you can visit my site, www.runrunlive.com, and you can find them there. Hope everyone's doing well. Enjoy your summer. And I will see you out there. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. It's a useful thing. If you're moved by something I say or interested and would like to see if what I wrote is the same thing, You can find it there, and it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff, and let me know if I can help. Ciao!